Good morning. I'm glad that you're here with us. Do we have a beautiful day the last couple of days? Isn't it beautiful? But if you are here and you think that you are supposed to be uh, at some, somewhere else, this is First Baptist Church. Welcome. And I'm Pastor Mark. We are going to worship the Lord today. Amen. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to his hired laborers for his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his fine vineyard. And when he, and he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those he said, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went. Again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did, this th and did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. When those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one received a denarius. When those hired first came, they thought they, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have bore the burden of the scorching heat of the day. But he answered and said to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go. But I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it, it, is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is it your eye envious because of my genero generosity? So the last shall be first and the first last. And may God add his blessings to reading of his word. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. But by the grace of God, amen? Man, that is a wide and deep subject if we take some time to think about it, isn't it? God's saving grace is a beautiful thing. I mean, it's something that's invaluable. It's precious. It's been said that Christianity is supremely a religion of grace. And that's certainly true. But even so, grace isn't well understood. And, and really often it's not really believed. We use the word a whole lot. But, but rarely do we think about what it means. Now, in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, Philip Yancey points out that the part of our problem is the nature of grace itself. He said, grace is scandalous. It's hard to accept, it's hard to believe, and it's hard to receive. Grace shocks us at what it offers. It's truly not of this world. It frightens us with, with what it does for sinners. He said that grace teaches us that God does for others what we would never do for them. 
we would save the not so bad. But God starts with prostitutes and then he works downward from there. Grace is a gift that costs everything to the giver and nothing to the receiver. It's given to those who don't deserve it, barely recognize it, and hardly ever appreciate it. That's why God alone gets the glory in our salvation. Jesus did all the work when he died on the cross. That's Philip Yancey. Now, in the end, grace means that no one is too bad to be saved. Amen? God specializes in saving really bad people. And if you want to believe that, just look right here. Do you have something that's in your background that you would be ashamed to talk about in this crowd? But fear not. Because God already knows about it, right? He knows everything about it. And his grace is greater than our sin. Amen. Grace also means that some people may be too good to be saved. That is, that they have such a high opinion for themselves that they think they don't need God's grace. You know any people like that? Lots. God's grace can't help us until we're desperate enough to receive it. Now here in our parable today, the parable of, of, the, the, of the vineyard, we're going to look at, at this parable. And as I was reading through this, I, I realized that I had never heard me personally a sermon on this par particular parable. And then looking back over the years, I have never preached a message on this, on this passage of Scripture. It's not one of the more popular stories because it strikes to the heart of our sense of fairness and justice. All of you that are working are worker bees. All of you that go to work every day can relate to this story. So I'm going to break this down. We're going to break this down into little bite-sized chunks as we go along. So in verses 1 and 2 together, we're going to read. For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a, a householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them to his vineyard. Now, this would be a, a typical scene in the days of the Bible. Just as we have the employment agencies, but even if you go to, you know, do the, I don't know if they do still do this at Lowe's, you know, where, where you, you pull up and, and you have a bunch of guys standing outside looking, you know, looking for day work. You know, do they still do, you, we still see that? Yes, no? Yeah, Home Depot. Okay, Waldorf. So I, I knew that there were some places that might still be around. Anyway, that's what they used to do here. They would go and they would, they would have a place where they would stand, where all the laborers would gather to work. And these workers were unskilled at, at a trade, and they were near the bottom of the social economic scale. 
And in fact, many of them lived at, at a level not far above of begging. And they worked from job to job, and usually that job didn't last more than a day. And because they had no guarantee of work beyond what they might be doing at the time, they gathered at the marketplace before, before dawn so that they would be there so somebody might be able to hire them. And working in a vineyard wasn't easy work. At harvest time, which was early spring in the, in, of the year in Palestine, uh, the grapes had to be picked, and often in temperatures of over 100 degrees. And Jesus, uh, you know, or just as corn and soybeans in our area have to be harvested when the weather's good, uh, the grapes have to be picked before the, the bad weather sets in and before they get moldy and, you know, fall off the vine. So if for some reason the grapes are slow in ripening, the time for harvesting can, could be significantly shortened. So consequently, the grape harvest was, was hectic. It was demanding. You know, it was fast. And these workers, they were promised a, you know, a, a, a pay of a denarius or, or a penny is what the King James says. Now, that was the same wage, daily wage of a Roman soldier. And while that might not mean much to us, it may, meant a whole a lot to the people that were listening to this parable in Jesus' time. Being a, a Roman soldier wasn't the most glorious, prestigious job. But it was higher up in the social ladder than being a common laborer. And, and because of that, the promise of a denarius to these workers would have been quite generous, right? They, they would have been happy to be getting that amount of money. I'm getting the same amount of money as that guy wearing that uniform. So they agreed to that, that rate that that, that that vineyard homeowner offered them. The equivalent today would be about 50 bucks. How many of you would get out of bed for $50 a day? <laughs> the people that have no money, right? <clears throat> Jason, I would get out for 50 bucks too. Now, this particular landowner's property obviously was large. So he needed more laborers to get the job done. So in verses 3 through 7... We see he went out on the third hour. He saw the workers standing around idle in the marketplace, and he went to them, and he said, go to my vineyard, you know, and whatever, and I'll pay you whatever's right. And they went to the vineyard. Again, he went out about the sixth and ninth hour. He did the same thing. He saw some more guys standing around. He went and he gave them the same offer, going to pay them the same amount of money. About the eleventh hour, he went out, and he saw others standing there. And he said, well, you know, why are you still standing here? Shouldn't you be working? And they said, hey, nobody's, nobody hired us. So we're standing here as long as we could just to, to make something. So he said, go ahead. I'm going to give you the same thing that, you know, that, that I gave everybody else since the beginning of the day. So the phrase that in, in here where he says, I will pay you whatever is right in verse 5, um, shows us that these workers, they trusted this landowner as a man of his, of his word, that, that he was going to pay what he said he was going to pay. And, and, you know, on the later hours, he didn't say what he was going to pay him. They just trusted that he was going to pay him. 
They didn't know what he was going to pay them. And in verse 6, when he found those other workers still standing around, you know, he, he, he's not talking to him like, like the, you know, why are you there? Why are you, are you lazy? He's not making them feel bad. He knows that they're just standing there because they couldn't, nobody hired them. They didn't have a job for the day. So apparently this landowner was compassionate. So he hired those last guys at that last hour and sent them out. Now, now the Jewish workday began about 6 o'clock in the morning. That was called the first hour. The third hour began at 9 a.m. The sixth hour was noon. The ninth hour was at 3. And the eleventh hour was 5 o'clock p.m. Now, at this point in the parable, it takes that dramatic turn. By the eleventh hour, by 5 o'clock in the afternoon, the work on most of those plantations would have been almost done, right? So the laborers that were waiting for work at that time, they, they probably lost hope. Yet on this particular day, it was different. Because of the generosity of the landowner, they had something to look forward to. It's clear that he was not only interested in his vineyard, but he was also interested in those unemployed people. Because he could have just kept on going, right? But he didn't. He hired them and, and he sent them to his vineyard. So we see that the, these, there are two groups of workers, those that he hired early that went to work after they negotiated that wage, and then those that, that he hired later who went on without a contract, who just were going by his word, I'll pay you what's fair. And they chose to trust the goodness of the master. And the owner pays his workers in verse 8. So when... Even was come, the Lord of the vineyard saith unto his steward, Call the laborers and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. Now, the, the typical mode of payment back then was first come, first serve. And not surprisingly, J Jesus just turns it around, right? He says, last come, first served. And I'm sure those that, that worked all day at the beginning to get... To, to, to get that money are a little bit confused. Now, now y'all, if you went into work and you worked your hindquarters off all day long, I don't know, I don't care whether you're on a computer or whether you're sweating, and you worked all day long, and boss sends a new guy in at the last hour, and he pays you at the end of the day, and he gives that guy the same amount of money that you got from working all day long. Would you be a little cranky? I think most of us would, right? Most of us would. <clears throat> so let's read verses 9 and 10. And when they came that were hired about the 11th hour, they received every man a penny. And when the first came, they supposed they should be, have received more, and they likewise received every man a penny. So they got the same amount of money, right? And though Jesus doesn't say it, he's, the implication is clear. All the workers, up to those that were hired first, were paid a penny, a denarius. And because of, of human nature, like I just we were just talking, 
We can imagine how those guys that have been sweating all day in that 100-degree weather, how they felt. That this guy, he didn't even break a sweat. And he got the same amount of money as me. That's just not right. I mean, if that owner gave them 50 bucks for working for one hour, and we worked 12 hours and we made 50 bucks, I'm going to be a little upset. Right? That's our nature. But the landowner didn't see it like that. Of course, verses 11 and 12, it tells us the attitude of the workers, right? When they had received it, they murmured against the good men of the house, saying that the last, uh, the last came just for the last hour, but, but you made them equal to us. And we did all the work for, for the day. We did the majority of the work. They only did a little bit. And working in a vineyard was very hard work. It involved laboring on a hillside in the heat of the day, usually with no breaks. So we can sympathize for those, with those workers because we know, like I said, we would be upset if that was us. We, can, we could understand their complaint. But their joy turned to anger when they realized that they got the amount, same amount of money as the guy that came in for that last hour. So they decided, like most of us would, right? Because I want you to connect with this. They decided that, that, that they weren't going to leave the plantation. They weren't going to leave that place until, until they got some satisfaction. So, so they went and talked to the landowner. But we find that this is only a symptom of the real problem which was that they were upset that the land owner had made them equal, those that came in late, equal to them. But you got to love the landowner's response, right? In verses 13 through 15. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Did not thou agree with me for a penny? Take... Take that, thine is, and go thy way, and I give you unto the last, even as unto thee. Is it not unlawful for me to do what I want with what I own? Is thine I evil because I'm good? I mean, isn't it my money? Isn't it my stuff that I, that I can do with what I want? So he... he completely refutes the, the worker's argument with this crushing blow, going, I ain't moving. I'm not changing my mind. <clears throat> and he uses the friend, you know, not the term for a close friend, but like a casual companion. And since the landowner only addresses one person, the implication is, is that this friend was probably the, smoke, the spokesperson for the group, right? Because that's what we do, right? Hey, you go, you go talk to him. You could talk about it. You talk to them. We'll stand back there like this. And we'll agree with you. We'll give you moral support. The owner just clearly states, hey, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm, do I'm, not doing I'm not breaking the law. Didn't you agree with me when I hired you for a denarius? You agreed that this would be, would be a good pay for you, Right? 
So before 6 o'clock in the morning, they agreed for the price of their labor. And at that time, 50 bucks was a, was a fair, generous wage for their work. And both sides had lived up to their end of the bargain. They did the work. He paid them. That's what it should be, right? What the landowner paid the other laborers or what, what the, the landowner did with his own money was no business of anybody else's. In fact, the landowner had wanted to give half of his wealth to one of the workers. He could have done that. But he didn't. But that, land, that, that worker would have been happy, right? Then Jesus, he brings in the parable, you know, to, to the appropriate end in, in verse 16. So the last shall be first and the first last. For many be called, but few are chosen. In the kingdom of God, our perceived position makes no difference because God shows no partiality. I'm going to say that again. God shows no partiality. He doesn't love me any better because I preach. A lot of people like to say, hey, you know, say a prayer for me because you're closer to him. I'm no closer to God than you are. We are all workers for the kingdom. We are all believers on the same footing. He doesn't show me any more favor than he would ever show you. He showed me favor by sending his son to die on that cross. To give me salvation, to give you salvation. In God's economy, there are, there are often just, it's just often opposite of what we expect. Grace has an edge on it, kind of, doesn't it? I mean, it's challenging, and it can be disturbing. Because what we see as fair is not what God sees as fair. If we're honest, we'd, we'd have to admit that, that grace kind of scandalizes us. Grace is something that we don't normally do, right, to other people. How many of you give grace to others? How many of you say and give the love that they need, that you turn off that partiality? Now, how do we apply this text to, to our lives? Do we simply accept the fact that others are going to be saved later than us? Or, or will we do less work? in the kingdom of God, that some other people will come to God and do less work than we do? I mean, sometimes that makes us a little bitter, don't you? Don't you think? We hear about those, those deathbed conversions. You worked all your life walking with the Lord. Man, I did everything I can do. I worked my hind parts off doing things for the Lord. And old Oscar there, he lived a treacherous life. He lived a, a bad life. You know, he drank, he smoked, he, he cursed. He did people wrong. He lied, he cheated. And the hour before he drew his last breath, he came to see Jesus and he's going to be in heaven? That just ain't right. Isn't that how he feels sometimes?
But I think there's a whole lot more in this passage that God wants us to learn. So I see at least four application areas. First is that grace reminds us that God's favor is a gift. Remember the problem in the text, right? It's not the injustice of a mean, cruel landowner. The problem is the scandal of a gracious and loving farmer. Verse 15 asks the question, are you envious because I'm generous? One of the most harmful sins that we can commit as God's children is taking God's grace for granted. And oh my goodness, do we do that? John MacArthur puts it this way. The charge of the unfairness was not grounded in a love for justice, but in a selfish assumption that the extra pay they wanted was pay they deserved. In other words, they were upset because they felt like they should get more than what those guys got. And so because they got the same amount of money, they should have got more money because they were there longer, even though they had agreed on the price. It's so easy for us to take grace for granted. After a time, we come to demand grace just like the workers in the parable. Verse 10 says that, that they expected to receive more. But brothers and sisters, in the kingdom of God, there is no such merit. Sherry's not going to do something better than Peggy or Mary. God's going to grade it all on the same line. You're all the same. We're all equal. He loves you. The grace that he gives us is across the board. I've discovered that there was another parable that makes the rounds uh, during the same time. And in this version, the workers who, who came last, uh, they worked hard. You know, and, they, and in this parable, they produced more than all the others put together. And they earned a salary that they got. And that kind of makes more sense to us capitalistic people, right? But that's not the story that Jesus told. Everybody got the same no matter what they produced. A lot of us identify with the employees that have put in a full day's work rather than the add-ons at the end of the day. Now, we like to think of ourselves as responsible workers, don't we? And the, and, and, and the employer's strange behavior kind of, kind of sets us back because we know that we would be upset too. But let's not miss the point of the story. And that is that God is the one that dispenses gifts. He, he dispenses gifts, not wages. If it's a wage that we want from God, anybody here want God to give us a, a wage? Because the Bible tells us what our salary would be, right? If he was to give us a wage. If we wanted to be rewarded for our work, for our merit, we want to be compensated for what we do. Romans 6.23 tells us how we're going to be paid. For the wages of sin is death. That's what we'd get paid. If not for grace. If we want to receive what God wants to freely give us, then the last part of this verse offers us something far better than just compensation. 
But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. There's nothing that you can do to make God love you anymore. There's nothing that you can do to make God love you less. Like a gift, the only thing that we can do with grace is to receive it. The second thing is that grace keeps us from looking down on ourselves. How many of you have ever struggled with feelings of incompetence? I'm, I'm just not worth it. I just, I'm just not worth anything. Sometimes we feel like that, don't we? Sometimes people make us feel like that. Have you ever experienced discontentment? Have you ever wished for a greater gift? Or been a, been, you know, a more important ministry? Have you ever felt inferior to others in church or at work? Ever felt less important? Now think with me for just a minute about those who weren't hired until 5 o'clock. They watched and they waited all day long. They watched and they waited as people got hired. They knew that they probably weren't going to get payday that day. And they probably wouldn't be able to buy any food for dinner that night that they were going to have to, to, to be hungry. All day long, they waited and were passed over. For some of us, we remember what that was like, you know, get, trying to be the last one picked for, you know, at school, right? When, you, when they were picking teams. And if you, if you never felt that, then, then you're lucky, right? These workers were leftovers. They were the least skilled. Who in their right mind would hire them this late in the day? But see, I feel like these workers represent us. When you think about it, what do we have to offer the Lord? Does he need our, our intellect? Does he need our strength, our money? Does he need our good deeds? Of course not. Let our confidence and joy in this life be based not on what we have or what we don't have. Not what we do, or what we don't do. Let our confidence should be on who we have. For on the last day when we stand before our Savior, because we're all unworthy, we're not worthless, but unworthy. Those are two different things. So our third point is that grace makes us equal to everyone else. Think about it. You need that's a refrigerator magnet. Grace makes us equal to everyone else. God's grace doesn't make me better than anybody. Doesn't make anybody better than me in God's economy. The workers complain in verse 12, it kind of fascinates me. You made them equal to us. The all-day workers don't complain about their wages. They were complaining because, you know, I mean, because their pay was good, right? They were upset because these guys 
were, were put up on the same scale as they were. They wanted to be superior. They wanted to be above them. The word grumble is, is in the imperfect tense, which means that they complained not just once, but they were always complaining. They were in constant state of complaining. Now, for those of you that work, do you ever hear other worker bees grumbling about what they get paid or what they, or, or what they should think they deserve? See, this helps us see what kind of workers that they really were. They didn't say, you know, you put us on par with the latecomers. Instead, they said, you put them on par with us. You move them up. They weren't only dissatisfied with, them, with what they received. They were also unsatisfied about, about what was given to the other people. There's part of us that wants God to give us grades so that we can compare ourselves to other people. I mean, think about it. Check, I'm in church today. Check, I read my Bible today. Check, check, check. I got an A plus this week, God, right? 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 Chris, he just came to church today. He didn't do any of that this week. Why should Chris get any more get the same amount of favors I got? God doesn't use check marks. Thank goodness. I want you to notice that there's a tragic chain of events that took place in the hearts of these workers. They started by comparing themselves with others, and then that comparison began led to to being coveting which led to complaining, which led ultimately to criticizing. And that's how it works. I mean, think about this for a minute. In our lives, if we struggle with coveting, complaining, and criticizing, do you struggle with any of that? If so, then you need to stop comparing yourself with others because that's where it starts. God declares that the economy of grace, we are all equal. Romans 12, 3 challenges us not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. Brothers and sisters, we need to stop being hard on other people. Stop looking for things that don't seem fair. Refuse to criticize. It's ironic, isn't it, that we want grace for ourselves, but we don't always give grace to anybody else. We want people to be easy on us, but we don't want to be easy on other people when they cross us. But grace applied to us always seems good, and it seems nice, and it seems right. But grace given to others, it, it bothers us. Be gracious with others. Cut them some slack. Your sin doesn't smell any better than my sin does. It really doesn't. Let's treat people the way that we want to be treated. Right? Because God's grace makes us equal to everyone. And lastly, grace offers us a fresh start. The Christian life is, is really a series of new beginnings. That's what grace is all about. 
No one is, is first and no one is last. I love that. I'm not better than you and you're not better than me. You're no worse than I am. I'm no worse than you are. We're all covered by the grace of Christ. That's why I think Jesus used this radical language in, in verse 16 about the first and the last. He said, so the last will be first and the first will be last. But also, if you look at what he said in the last verse of chapter 19, in that verse immediately preceding this parable, he said, but many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. He changes the order. The first and the last, the last and the first, they all blur together. That's the point. It says if Jesus was trying to make a point that first and last, they don't matter. They don't matter to him. Grace is not about finishing first. It's not about finishing last. It's not about, it's not about counting at all. It's about not keeping score. It's about having a do-over, a fresh start whenever we need it. How many of you need a do-over? Every day. Every day. So do you want a fresh start today? Do you need a new beginning? Because you can have one. How do you find God's grace? It's hard. It's difficult. It's really hard. Here, write this down. This is how you find God's grace. Just ask for it. Ask for it. That's all. It's really that simple. The more you feel the need of, for grace, the better candidate you are to receive it. Hold out your empty hands. And ask God for his grace. And brothers and sisters, you will not be turned away. And it's never too late. Even though our sins are scarlet, God says that we will be white as snow. This is a miracle. It's a wonder. It's a scandal. It's a shock of God's grace. It truly is out of this world, for no one in this world would have thought something like that. We as men and women, as humans, we don't think like that. And here's the good news for sinners. Everybody's a sinner, raise your hand. I'm glad that everybody raised their hand. The good news is that grace is free. Grace is free. We need to shout that. We need to sing it, tell it, share it. And above all, we need to believe it. Because believing in it saves us. When we get to heaven, there's going to be no contest to see who's the most deserving of God's grace. I mean, do you think about this? You take your last breath here and take your first breath in heaven. And you're walking around and you're seeing Uncle Joe and... And Jill and mom and dad and, and all those that you loved. And, and you're walking down the, the golden streets and you see Billy Bob over there. And you're going, what in the world is he doing here? What? There is no way that that man, somebody made a mistake. Billy Bob should not be up in here. It's not our decision. It's their decision 
except in Christ, regardless of when, who, how. And you don't know the relationship that people have with God outside of what they are in front of you. And there's no contest. When we look back and we see what we were before, when we see the pit from that, that, that he rescued us from, then we remember how God reached out and hired us into his family. How he held us in his hand when we see Jesus who loved us and he gave himself for us. And the only contest that we'll be, see is going to be seeing who's going to be able to sing the loudest, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. But now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Do you know what grace is? If you don't, if you're confused, then please, let's get together. Let's talk about it. Let me help you so that you receive it. And that you know through the blood of Christ that you are worthy. Let's pray. Father God, your grace such a big subject way too often we we just take take it for granted i pray father that that you just let us see it that we feel it that we open our hearts and, and we realize that we are good enough that that you don't grade on the world standards you see our hearts we thank you for that. We thank you for your grace and your love. We thank you for your mercy. And I ask, Father, that you continue to be with us as we prepare for, uh, for the Lord's Supper. And Lord, that you would make our hearts right and make us ready. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. All God's children said, Amen. And so as the brothers come up, we are going to do the Lord's Supper. And, and I just offer it to anybody that's, uh, that's accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior to, to share it with us. Do you believe that His grace is greater than all our sin? He's God. It's got to be that, right? It's got to be that way. So here's your challenge this week. I'm going to make it a little hard. See, because we know God's grace in our life, you know. So first, I want you to, to understand that you received it. And if you haven't received it, like I said, let's talk. If you're confused about what grace is, come and, and let's talk. But the real challenge is to give grace to somebody else. Give somebody grace that you feel is undeserving of grace. You know what I'm talking about. You already got a picture of, the, of that person in your head. Right? 
Give that person grace because God gave you that grace. Can you do that? It's going to be hard. I pray that you're able to. And if you won't, come and I'll pray with you. God bless you guys. You know I love you. Have a great week. If you need something, please let me know. And I'll do my best to help. I'm going to ask Mikey to close this. Peace, I'm out. Thank you, Lord, for a beautiful day. Thank you, Lord, for being able to come and worship you. Thank you, Lord, gave us a wonderful message. Lord, let us take that message out in our hearts and, and reach out to someone who, who needs your grace. Lord, keep us all safe and bring us back. All this I ask in your precious Holy Son, in Jesus' name. Amen.